horses feel what we feel. They have the emotional complexity to comprehend anything. We have the emotional complexity to comprehend. And I do believe that they have long and complicated um, understandings of things and how they happen. So our writing is so important and to be conscious of our writing and our body and making sure that we're physically able to ride well, whatever the challenge is, you can walk away from it and come back and try fresh. And there are very few horses that are like, nah, never have to do that again because they're constantly living in the present. Welcome to the Horsemanship Breakthroughs podcast a source for riding and training insights with the goal of helping your horse be a happy, light and willing partner. I'm your host, Amalia Dempsey, a mainstream equestrian rider who discovered natural horsemanship and now I help riders like you achieve connection and communication so you can have more fun and fulfillment whilst prioritising partnership with your horse. Want to find out my horse training philosophy? Access the free connection and communication mini course at amaliadempsey.com. Now sit back, relax, enjoy the show, and hit the subscribe button so you don't miss any future episodes. Welcome back to the Horsemanship Breakthroughs podcast. We are up to episode 11, and guys, I am inundated with super exciting interviews lined up with horse trainers all over the world. I actually thought on this podcast I would do more solo episodes and don't get me wrong, there are plenty of those coming up with some advice and feedback from me, but I am enjoying connecting so much with like-minded trainers from all over the world. It's super exciting and I just love talking to other trainers about all things horses and horse training. Now in this episode, I speak to NZ Mares. You know her as NZ Mares on Instagram. You know her as the girl who rides at Liberty on the beach in the countryside, completely on a neck rope. She just has the most amazing life playing with her horses all over the countryside. And in this episode, it's action packed, full of all sorts of things. We speak about how she got started with horses as an 11 year old with a six month old horse and her journey with her two current horses, Juno and Trini, with polar opposite backgrounds. We speak about what she loves outside of horses, her secret to being so happy and positive, but also her experience with anxiety. We touch on social media and what she calls co-inspiration. And we talk about the good and bad side of social media and her take on positive and negative reinforcement, who inspires her and why she actually does compete for her horse's benefit. Plus so much more. There are lots of little goodies in this episode. You just won't want to miss it. And NZ Mez has an energy that leaves you feeling peaceful, grounded, and grateful. I am sure she has this effect on her own horses too, and her laughter is contagious. I hope that you feel this way after listening to the podcast. Now, I have to say the audio was a little bit delayed and unfortunately it did cut out a few times. We had to be very patient logging back onto the system, Um, but I've tried my best to make it as seamless as possible. But I apologize in advance if there are a few glitches and you sort of hear that I randomly jumped to another question without um, NZ Mares finishing completely. Um, That's when the audio has cut out. So sorry about that, joys of technology. But the info inside this interview was just too good to throw away. So I've published it anyway, even though it's not perfect and it didn't run smoothly, I'm sure that you're going to get a lot out of it anyway. 
Let me talk a little bit about NZMES. So growing up in a really remote area of New Zealand, NZMES fell in love with horses at 10 years old and simply never grew out of it. From a young age, she rode out alone or with her brother, following wild horses on the coast and camping overnight. Over the years, horses have never left her heart through university, career and motherhood in the big city. Moving to her own land six years ago was a lifelong dream and allowed her to have horses at home again. She found Juno and bred Trini and says she absolutely loved the adventure of starting her two young horses and learning more about different disciplines. I'm really excited to jump into this episode and the intro where I did say hello to NZMAS straight away cut out slightly. So we're just going to jump straight in to the first question. It's so nice to connect with someone who's like-minded and I've been following you on Instagram for a little while now. Actually, as soon as I saw your Instagram, I was like, wow, this girl looks like she's having so much fun and so much adventure. And I'd love to hear from you to start off with. Can you tell us about your horse journey to date, when you got into horses and sort of what has led you to where you are today? It was so cute when I came across your account. I was like, how have I not found this girl before? (laughs) So that was likewise. I totally got obsessed with horses from the age of 10 and there was this lovely guy down the road who had all these quarter horses and paints and he said I was allowed to ride his horses but my dad said only if you wear a helmet and I didn't have a helmet so my glorious journey of horsemanship started with an orange motorbike helmet. The same guy was so lovely. He gave me a filly who was six months old. She was this beautiful little quarter horse cross and um, woolly as anything. And that's where everything started for me because I just spent, you can imagine I was like 11 by then and I just spent all my time in the field with her and learned so much in the way that children do without anybody telling them how things work. And so she was the first horse that I started. Um, And I just literally swung on one day in the paddock and she looked at me like, aren't your feet supposed to be on the ground? And I was like, I think this works. So I went and got a bridle and rode her and she ended up being a schoolmaster and um, incredible trail horse and jumping and everything. And so that was the beginning of everything with horses was this little quarter horse cross. She was a real pretty little paint. And... After that, I was just so lucky. My dad worked for a week to get me a horse um, who was another quarter horse cross. He was called Kelt, and he was my first heart horse. He was just the most amazing guy. He'd buck anybody off who treated him badly, and he would do absolutely anything for me. Um, And the same guy down the road gave me an an old um, eventer called Zar who'd been trained by Mark Todd. And so I had this gorgeous, gorgeous 16-hand chestnut with a big blaze and I'd be riding along and I'd just twitch my knee a little bit and he'd start <laughs> doing some extremely high-level dressage move. <laughs> it was incredible. He was just such a beautiful, gentle horse and so highly skilled and he would jump absolutely anything because he did steeplechasing before he did eventing. So you could point him at absolutely anything and he would just fly it. Um, 
Yeah, so we were way in the middle of nowhere. We used to ride up the coast chasing wild horses and we used to ride to Pony Club, which was like 30 kilometres away, and we had to ride along the beach to get there. And it was just the best childhood. And it, I just never grew out of it. <laughs> yes, I think that's what happens to us. It's sort of like that phase that we never grow that's out right, of. That's right, if you're lucky. That's it, yes, if you can continue it, if your life allows you to do that. I think it's amazing that you had a six-month-old horse as pretty much your first horse, and it sounds like this guy down the road was quite generous in the horses that he gave you. And I love what you said about um, the advanced eventer. It reminds me of a time when I was riding for a dressage rider, and there was this horse that I was riding, and you know, I would, like you said, do something with my leg, and all of a sudden it would be passaging, and I'm like, I don't know how to make it stop doing this. Yeah, he was amazing. And the thing about this guy as well, he was young. He was about 24 and he was a good looking cowboy. And, you know, we were just kids and we used to go to his place all the time and hang out and he'd take us horse riding. And I just think, you know, it's really neat that that happened then. And I think in this day and age, people would never let that happen. Like there was a real innocence around it. Yes, absolutely. And I think that childlike innocence is something that we really should be bringing to our adult life with horses. I was similar to you in that I had a bit of an upbringing like that, just riding ponies, jumping deck chairs, no supervision. Um, But anyway, right now your life looks so amazing and adventurous. Is every day like that now or what does a day in the life look like you now? Oh, don't I wish. Well, there's the realities of life. Um, so pretty much I get up, I make an espresso, I pack my son lunch and send him off to school. And then I do my work, which is freelance marketing, which is awesome. I've been doing that since he was a baby. Um, so I'm my own boss, which is how come I get to take off in the afternoon quite often or even, you know, just skip Friday and go riding. So that obviously doesn't make it onto Instagram, but there's the realities of life that make everything happen and obviously have to earn the money to look after my horses and spoil them like I do. (laughs) But I do get to go riding maybe um, two or three times during the week plus weekends. So I do get to do lots of riding and I'm super, super grateful and lucky. That is amazing. It is the reality of life and that we do need to, you know, come up with a way to afford our hobby, our passion with horses. Um, and I, I know that horses aren't your job as such, but can you tell us what else apart from marketing you're interested outside of horses? Sure. Um, I was just going to say, I actually make time every day, even if I'm doing a boring wall-to-wall work day, just to go and see my horses and spend time with them, even if I'm just cleaning their feet or taking them a treat, because it keeps me grounded and it just makes me feel like my day was worthwhile. Um, but outside of horses, obviously, my biggest interest is my child, because I love being a parent. And he's getting quite big and I adore him just as much as when he was a chubby toddler melting my heart. So I feel really lucky and blessed to enjoy motherhood so much and have such a beautiful, um, challenging, interesting child. (laughs) Um, I really love our natural world and I'm really passionate about saving our climate. I feel like um, everything to do with horses and nature, you know, we need to bear in mind our planet is what's supporting us and 
so that whole big picture thing really matters to me and I've actually got fairly political about it in my personal life um I think we all really need time to connect to nature and it's part of our basic human needs and you've probably heard that the Japanese language has a phrase shiren yoku which is literally forest bathing it's spending time in nature and I think those moments where we're immersed in nature are really essential um, so that flows into my work life I love natural products and well-being and most of my clients these days are in those areas which lets me be really passionate about my work because I believe in what I'm promoting which makes life really good Wow, that sounds amazing. I love how you've incorporated something that you're really passionate about with your work. And going back to your son, I'm sure that you've probably seen some uh, kind of similarities between training horses and parenting. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I use parenting. I'm not even a parent, but I use parenting analogies when I'm teaching. So, so yeah, have you found any similarities? It's so true. Oh, my gosh. And, in fact, one of my best horse friends is a um, – She's an incredible eventer, Terangi Horses. She's got gorgeous horses and she's a really inspirational trainer. But she's also an art teacher and she <laughs> was explaining to one of the leaders at her college about how she uses pressure and release on the kids. <laughs> that is hilarious. <laughs> and then he was like, okay, I understand what you're saying. <laughs> Oh dear. I feel like my non-horsey friends who have children, whenever I talk about training horses and the similarities, I'm sure they roll their eyes at me, but I think the horsey people can um, relate. Absolutely. And if you're doing a good job, it's going to work, whether it's a child or a horse. Um, definitely, definitely aligned. <laughs> Yes, and I feel like it has so much to do just with your approach and your attitude. And you seem like such a positive and happy person. What is your secret? And do you have some kind of mantra that you like to live by? So I prepared a response for this because I feel like this is a really good time to remind everyone that social media is a presentation of how we want our lives to be seen. <laughs> it's still true with an account about horses. I have down days and I get sad, and I, but I know I'm so, so, so lucky to be born in this time and in this incredible country in New Zealand. And I was so lucky to be born to the loving, amazing family I have and to be healthy and strong, let alone to have horses in my own place. Um, so, yes, I am a happy and positive person, but I would be absolutely lying if I said that every day I feel bright and sunny and that I never am down. So I want to be honest about that because I feel like um, it's really important to share your vulnerabilities so that other people feel free to share theirs and I think um, you know we've got an opportunity to support each other through some of those harder times um, yeah I believe we've got a chance to make others feel good and especially online we can do that at such little cost to ourselves um, and I've, that's kind of led me to thinking about um, positivity on social media um, and I have a really strong policy about that where if I see anything I want to criticize I just don't I scroll on by unless somebody's asking for ideas or help and likewise if I see somebody smashing a personal goal I love to congratulate them and I try and make my posts encouraging entertaining or fun for other people because um, I'm really not interested in broadcasting negativity 
and I get so much support and encouragement from friends and Insta friends and it really does make my day better. People talk a lot about online negativity in the equestrian community, but the people I follow are kind and fun and supportive and we inspire each other so much that I created the word co-inspiration. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so I highly recommend if anyone's listening to this and wanting to find some lovely people, just pop over to my account and have a look at who I'm following because I literally don't follow anybody who I don't enjoy their input. Um, so I think my mantra is, it's not so much a mantra, but a reminder to self to just check in and be so grateful, like talk about count your blessings. Um, it really does help to wake up in the morning and think about what you're grateful for. Yes, absolutely. And you can definitely get a sense of that just through the way you talk. And even some of your posts have noticed that you you mentioned a bit how grateful you are to live in New Zealand and to have the, this opportunity with horses. It's so beautiful to hear. And I know what you're saying about the social media side of things, but I do think we have this little community going on on Instagram where we are all positive and are all supportive. So that's super nice to see as well. Now, just going back to your horses, how many horses do you actually have? And can you tell us about each of their personalities? <laughs> I could talk for hours. So I'm going to try and be um, concise and you can ask if you want to know more. So Juno's my black quarter horse mare. I bought her when she was 18 months old and literally went and looked at her and thought, holy shit, this horse has so many issues, she's dangerous, she's really, really, really going to be hard work and I should walk away. The people that had um, bred her had decided that they would um, start her themselves at a year and a half old and so they'd watched YouTube to see how to do that. Um, yeah, and also her mother had died in a paddock accident when she was really young, um, so she'd kind of grown up without that strong mere dominant personality in her life and um, she had some really confused ideas about humans about whether they were just there to be her slave and bring her treats which is what happened for years and years or whether they were actually really scary and dangerous because when they started to try and work with her being an incredibly brave mare she fought back and things went badly. Wow. <laughs> so I met this young horse, looked at her and thought, walk away, walk away, walk away. And I said to them, look, I'm going to have to think about this. And they were like, yeah, understand. They were really honest about the situation and I appreciated that. I walked away and I could not stop thinking about this horse. So I went back and I, I took her and um, we've had a really long journey and it's been pretty rocky. And there's been um, lots of times where um, I wondered early on if I was going to make it with with her, you know. Um, she's the only horse I've ever met who has actually screamed in anger at a human. Um, she's, when, when I first had her one day, I tried to move her over and so I slapped her on the butt, you know, like move over. And she screamed and double barreled both feet at my head. And I like just did that slow motion matrix move. Wow, scary. <laughs> really scary. And, you know, all, over time I've learned that all of it, like every single 
every single piece of it has come from fear. She's been so scared to have these like completely benign creatures turn really scary all of a sudden that she still has some really deep seated defense mechanisms. Um, so our journey has been a rocky one, but at the same time, this horse, honestly, she's she is a heart horse and I could not love her more than I do. And I know that she knows that I'm her human. And we have this really insane connection where I can just look across the field at her and she'll raise her head and look straight at me. It's like she feels me think about her. Um, and we had this amazing moment really early on. It was about the, it was literally the 10th time I had ridden her. I took her to a horsemanship clinic and it was a three day clinic. And on the third day we all walked into the arena and, um, the, you know, everyone was in a circle and I looked around thinking there's everybody with their horses. Here we are in our peers. And Juno literally turned her head and looked at me. And then just started staring at me so intensely that my eyes just filled up with tears. It was so overwhelming. Um, and she put her head against my neck and sniffed the back of my neck real gently and then sniffed her way down my outside my arm, almost like just so intense that like her nostril was almost, you know, clinging to me. She was, And I was just streaming with tears and I looked across the arena at my friend and she was standing there dreaming with tears and I could hear Juno thinking you're my human (laughs) it was like so amazing and so she's never gone back on that she knows I'm her human and she's my horse and we're a pair and yeah she's insane she's so brave she gives 120% on absolutely anything but she is the most earnest trying willing brave darling horse um and just feels so incredible to ride and on the other hand trini was um i decided to breed trini and i chose the stallion and she was born under the tree in the front field and i helped deliver her and she took my her first breath in my arms and she's incredibly confident completely assured of her own worth in the world and just such a secure and sane and balanced horse that we've been able to do just the most incredible things together um and yeah I've had the privilege of starting them both I got a little bit of help with the first four sessions with Juno because I just really didn't know how it was going to go but she was like can you just get on it's time to go now Um, and Trini, Trini was actually a little harder to start because she had some ideas about what should and shouldn't be done. Um, so, yeah, they're both my girls. I really, really love that I've had them both from really young and started them and I know their journeys and they trust me and, yeah, and they're so different. <laughs> sounds like, and it sounds like they're upbringings were quite different as well they've both come from very different backgrounds but it sounds like they've kind of ended up in the same place being quite centered horses and your heart horses and it looks like you go to the most amazing places with them from beaches to forests in the bush sand dunes lakes trails it's all over your instagram looks like sometimes you're in the middle of nowhere where do you find these places do you have a favorite location (laughs) 
Oh my gosh, I got the cutest thing. I was doing an Instagram live a little while ago and one of these girls from Germany messaged me and she said, I think you're the only person in New Zealand because there's always no one else on the beach. It <laughs> 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 just cracked me up because I love riding by myself and I love remote places. And it's obviously because I grew up in the remote far north of New Zealand and that's how we rode. We rode you know, miles from anywhere, all by ourselves. Um, God bless my parents. Um, and so, yeah, I still like to do the same things. Um, I have luckily, you know, found some amazing places through tips from friends. And my favourite beach is about an hour 20 from home. And it's so worth the drive because it's just this endless golden bay that goes on forever and ever and ever. And once you ride over the headland at the end of it, there's another endless golden bay that goes on forever and ever and ever. <laughs> so that's by far my favourite place. Now, with your adventures, I've seen some incredible videos and photos of you riding completely naked, as in just with a neck rope uh, in the open. Um, where and how did you learn to ride with the neck rope or free riding, as you call it? Okay, so can I just first say, don't try this at home? <laughs> because this is not your recommended methodology, okay, guys? <laughs> okay, so I've been friends with Rachel from My Horse Willow on Instagram for years, and one day she just took her halter off and rode Willow on the trail with a lead as a neck rope. And she said, I figured that the rope touches her neck anyway when I ride with a halter, and I thought I'd give it a go. And I thought, now that sounds like my style of training. <laughs> oh, yeah. This is what I mean about co-inspiration. <laughs> Just getting ideas of each other, even if they're not the most safe. <laughs> Just constantly inspiring each other to new levels of madness. <laughs> But actually, Rachel and I always laugh because Willow and Trini have so much in common. It's ridiculous. And if we could just teleport, we would be riding down the beach together, no bridles on our two little bay mares, and it would be heaven. So we're going to try and get Rachel over here to ride Trini one day. But anyway, so we, we actually, Rachel was coming last November and then COVID hit. And yeah, so it's one of the great frustrations of COVID for me. So I was out on the trail with Trini and I thought, let's just see what happens. It was a nice scrubby little trail with bushes either side and no big open spaces. So I kind of figured she was going to kind of have a guide of where to be going anyway. So I slipped off the halter and I just experimented. And what do you know, Trini stopped with a halt cue with my body, the lightest neck rope pressure and a wool. She knew the verbal cue from ground school. And she knew my body cue from riding. And the neck rope was really just a nice little backup. So I checked a few times and we rode along for a while going, whoa, and she'd stop. Whoa, and she'd stop. So the next thing, we're cantering down the sand dune onto the beach. And there I am, galloping along the beach, bridleless, eight months after I started riding her. She's pretty amazing. So I followed the same process with Juno, but I started in an arena and gave her some jumps to keep her focused. This is because of what I said earlier about her being 120% horse. So 
we've galloped on the beach as well without a bridle, but it's a finer balancing act with Gino as she's a firm believer in running very fast, very, very fast. <laughs> but the very first time I tried riding her in the arena without a bridle, um, just neck rope, cantering around, jumping, just absolutely beautiful because she so wanted to be doing it. Um, she loves her jumping. And so she was already listening to the balance of my body more than the bridle. Um, and I think that's that's been the key to the neck rope riding with my girls is, you know, they should know how to stop without the bit. They should know how to turn without the bit. They should be listening to your body and, and you should be giving clear enough cues. I, we, I have this beautiful quote from Buck Brannerman, um, I was lucky enough to go to a clinic here in New Zealand and one of his stories that really stuck with me, he said, I had this lady and she said to me, Buck, can't we just sit there sometimes? <laughs> and I said, no. <laughs> he says, if you're on a horse, you're riding the horse. And he means every instant of when you're on a horse, your body should be riding the horse um, and I think that's a really inspirational goal to just not sit there and be flopping along. Even when you're in a clinic, it's really interesting. You look around and people are waiting, you know, while the clinician's talking and they're slouched in the saddle or they're leaning off to one side or they're leaning back. And you look at the horse and you think, that's got to be uncomfortable, right? That's putting weight on its back. It's like, just have the grace and the respect to actually sit on your horse nicely if you're on your horse <laughs> yeah we'll hop off if you you need a break oh absolutely mm. I found that when I've ridden my horses uh just with a neck rope they kind of appreciate the freedom they're like yes thank you I've been waiting for this and my cues same as you work without the or the halter so they're just like this is what I've been waiting for and it's such a freeing feeling and I can only imagine it feels even freer when you're out in the middle of nowhere it must be amazing it's fantastic and I'm glad you brought that up because one of my favorite things about it is um literally I take the halter off Trini and she shakes her head and she's like woohoo look at me I got nothing <laughs> And I have a video on my I have a video on my account where I was riding along and Juno turned around and she's like, dude, this bridle is so hot. And I'm like, yeah, okay. So I lean forward and I take it off. She's like, oh, so much better. And I managed to get all of that on film. I just love it. So yeah, they love it. And in fact, the time that I took um the neck rope off Trini and was just galloping along the beach with absolutely nothing. Um, I actually believe she was even prouder of herself that day than normal. I think she felt amazing. Yes, you can feel that sense of pride in them um, in moments like that. And I love how you said she said to you that she want, that it's too hot for the halter because I will often watch my horse's body language and it feels like they're literally talking to me with words because it's so clear once you can understand that communication. I'd love to know from you how you'd summarize your own personal training approach or your philosophy with horses and do you use positive or negative reinforcement? This is such a great question and the perfect segue. Thank you. <laughs> um, I was talking earlier this about how a lot of the stuff I learned was just childlike learning alone in a field with a small 
pony, you know, young filly. Um, so there was that, but there's, I also was taught what I call pony club rules, kick it, pull it, push it, make it, do it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, me too. Yeah, so a lot of us start off there, right? And and we're told by people who are quite authoritative and so we think, okay, that's the way it's got to be done. But at the same time, we grew up quite wild as kids. We were building huts out in the bush, playing with our dog and our cats and our goats. And we were brave and we knew about animals. So I made up a lot of things as I went along. When I was given my first horse, she was only six months old and I played games with her and they got too dangerous quite quickly. So like we're playing chase, you know, and because she's a young filly, she'd start kicking. <laughs> so I had to yeah. learn to talk. <laughs> I had to learn to talk horse rules and use body language to make sure she didn't hurt me. So it was a good way to learn early on how to um, distract them or, you know, refocus them from that kind of behavior. I'm a big believer in gentling an animal. I probably got that term from my friend Flicker when I was really small, but getting a horse used to things and teaching them to feel safe around you. I know it sounds really basic, but a lot of people don't spend a lot of time on it, and I do. I mean, I think just even things like touching their legs gently but firmly until you can pick up their feet and clean them just by touching a heel with one finger. Um, Trini, even though she was born in my arms, she took a lot of gentling. She was so, so wild. <laughs> even as a kid, my horsemanship was a blend of pony club rules and animal instinct. I remember lighting a line of petrol on fire so I could jump my homesteaded horse over it. <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> <laughs> I remember leading her over a really narrow bridge and putting her on the first times, putting her on a truck or a float. And she just was fine with everything because she knew if I said so, it was okay. Then as I've been an adult and I've had money and transport to get there, I've done all sorts of clinics and lessons with lots of fabulous people. Like I said, I went to a Buck Brenneman clinic and I've done clinics with Ken Dromgall at Dromgall Horsemanship. And I've done work with Ben at True West Horsemanship. Go and find him on YouTube, on Instagram. He is great. He's got lots of YouTube tutorials as well. Um, and all these guys follow the teaching that began with Ray Hunt. So their personal style varies, but their core methodology is the same. And I think this style of horsemanship is based on two things understanding the horse and pressure and release so I definitely use pressure and release which some people say is a form of negative reinforcement I also use big loud voices and arms high in the air to move a horse off me and that's definitely negative reinforcement <laughs> and I'll give my horses a little tap on the butt if they don't move over just like Juno would knit Trini to make her move over I basically have this rule that if a horse does it to another horse in their daily language, it's probably okay um, and they'll understand it. I'm a huge fan of positive reinforcement. I talk a lot. And if you watch your, my videos, you'll hear me saying, good girl, easy, whoa, it's all right. <laughs> and you can know that I've already cut four-fifths of that chit-chat out of the video. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I used treat rewards once when Trini was really badly injured and I needed to dress the wound and it was really, really painful and she didn't want me to. 
And wow, that worked so fast. Um, so I know it's super effective, but I also know my girls feel my praise as a reward as well. So when I say good girl or nice and rub their neck, they get a spring in their step and prance a bit like, yeah, I'm cool. Look at me. <laughs> I'm really interested in the desensitization term. It's a big part of my training to familiarize my horses with weird things like flags and bridges and anything bright and flappy. We really love Cowboy Challenge with all the obstacles and canvases and curtains and steps and so on. And the horses, honestly, Gino and Trini love it too. Um, I'm not a big fan of the term desensitized because if you're not real careful, a scared horse will shut down. And Ken Drongol taught me that if you let the horse move its feet, you can familiarize it with a new pressure without it locking up. If you're letting them move they actually panic a lot less because they don't feel um trapped and if a horse gets to the feeling of being trapped and learns that if they stand still and freeze that the pressure will ease then you get a horse who locks up and when you've got a horse who locks up eventually they're going to come across something that's too big and too scary and they're going to unlock and it is not going to be pretty and i've seen Ken work through that with a horse and it was honestly just heartbreaking to see this horse trying so hard to stay still because that was the aim of the game and it was terrified and when it moved it just exploded. So um, I really do think that um, desensitization used really carefully is a really incredible tool. Some is was um, Trini's mum and she was really really tense off the track thoroughbred and when I first did work with a flag with her holy there was a lot of explosion <laughs> you know she was grunting and booting and rearing and leaping and panicking and wow. this was all from really low level stimulation so we just kept working on that until the point she could have the bag yeah, the flag on her back, under her tummy, around her back legs, and she was still calm, but she was always moving. And I really think that that work translated into so many aspects of her life, just realising that it was okay to work through fear instead of just react against it. One of the things I haven't talked about is our responsibility as a rider. And I think, you know, it's great to do ground school work. I think it's a really, really absolutely priceless part of horsemanship. But also our riding is so important and to be conscious of our riding and our body and making sure that we're physically able to ride well um, is such a really important part of training our horses. Yes, absolutely. I love everything that you said in response to that question. I agree with you about the riding. Um, I think it's so important because often I see that uh, it's not necessarily a behavioral thing um, that's causing a horse to um, perform a certain behavior, I guess, but or have a conflict with their rider, but it's the rider's uh, riding ability. You know, they might be blocking the horse's movement. They might have brace in their body. I also love what you said about desensitizing because personally, I don't really like using that word either because people can take it the wrong way. And I want my horses to be sensitive. I want them to equally be accepting and confident with something, but also use that same tool to be able to potentially move them as well. So I don't want them to be dull to anything really. Um, and I also love what you said about um, your uh, voice, when you use your voice as positive reinforcement with your horses, because 
I can feel that too when I say, yes, good, good girl. They feel your energy and it's almost like they perk up and they feel proud. And it's so nice to be able to do that. And <laughs> that person in the competition arena talking to my horse and everyone's looking at me like, who is this girl and can she be quiet? <laughs> and I also love that you spoke about negative reinforcement because these days, I think especially with social media, um, I know I read a lot of posts that are like purely positive reinforcement only and it's like, oh, I feel a bit bad for using negative reinforcement, but I still think the majority of the horse industry use negative reinforcement and a lot of us use it well in terms of, you know, we're not putting excessive pressure on our horses, but we're being appropriately firm where necessary. Um, And you're right, this is what horses use with each other to communicate. So I'm on the same page um, as you with that. And um, moving on to your show jumping, I see that you do a fair bit of that. Can you tell us um, why you compete and what your competitive goals are? I actually have the very best reason for competing. It is that my horses insist upon it. (laughs) The funny thing is I (laughs) I did not expect either of my horses to be serious about jumping. Juno's a quarter horse and Trini's half Frisian, but as so often happens, they had other ideas. (laughs) Both of them very quickly caught on to the aim of the game. And they do their utmost not to touch those poles. In fact, in a recent competition, Trini touched a rail and was so outraged. She bucked three times when she landed. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) These two, seriously, they just love to jump. I have to be really alert because if I'm not clear which jump is next, I'll quickly zip off to line up the jump on their own. (laughs) And a few times Juno's done a right angle at a gallop. Oh my to god. add in a jump and I've been laughing too hard to do anything <laughs> What is something that you believe is true that a lot of horse people disagree with? Such a good question. I believe that horses are as emotionally complex as us and have long sequences of reasoning. I think people constantly underestimate horses um, and that mentality, that Victorian mentality still holds that, you know, humans are better animals than all the other animals. Um, and I constantly see evidence to the contrary. I watched Juno, who's naturally short-tempered and impatient like me, put up with cheeky Trini, cheeky Trini and her absolutely naughty behaviour. She's been so kind and patient with her and I know that she sort of feels a bit like an auntie to her. Um, I see how annoyed Trini is when I take Juno out riding instead of her. The last time I got back, Trini ran away from us, literally kept complaining loudly. <laughs> like that. I'm not kidding. It was so funny. And I knew exactly how she felt about being left behind. I watch Juno's face when I come out of the house and I get in my truck and she's alert waiting to see if I'll back up and hitch up the trailer. If I do, her nostrils flutter and she runs to the gate. She hates covers and when she sees me coming to the field carrying one, she puts her ears back and walks away. My horses recognise my friends and they greet them at shows. They're happy to see members of their herd. It's really adorable. We've made a point with Friends of mine, they know that I want them to come up and say hi and stroke my horse. Um, One of my friends, Tarangi Horses, we did a little experiment. 
she probably sees Juno five times a year and she's never ridden her. So she's just, you know, someone that's familiar, not a constant figure in Juno's life. And Juno had been tied up beside the trailer for about half an hour and Astra walked around the corner and said, hi, Juno. Well, Juno wicked to her and Juno doesn't do that lightly. She was like, hey, how are you? I've been here all alone for 20 minutes. <laughs> when I sold Trini's mum, Summer, about six months later, we took Trini and Juno to see her and it was so emotional and overwhelming for everyone. I think, you know, we cried and the horses were so intense to see each other and they sniffed each other and talked constantly for the whole time we were there and when we left her mum was crying out for her and I cried and it was really a horrendously emotional thing but there was absolutely no doubt that they had the same strong feelings that a human mother and child would have for each other. Um, I also think that horses are really spiritual creatures and that if we're open to them they can bring us real um, illumination, I guess. Um, there's a woman called Margaret Coates who wrote a, a story called, a book called Talking to Horses, um, no, Connecting with Horses, um, and she talks about how you should basically reset yourself before you approach a horse. So she recommends standing still, feeling the breeze, listening, closing your eyes, taking off your boots and letting your feet connect with the magnetic field of the earth. Well, when I was recently divorced, one of my horses had a really bad trailer accident and I had to give her a shot of penicillin every day. So she pretty quickly got the idea that if I was walking up to her, I was going to really hurt her in the neck. So she was running away from me and quite hard to catch. And one day I got there and I couldn't catch her and I was really unhappy anyway. And I took off my shoes and I stood in the field and I felt the grass on my feet and the sun on my face. And my horse whinnied to me from the far side of the paddock. She ran to me. I put my arms around her neck and I bawled. Because <laughs> this divorce was so traumatic. And I cried on her beautiful neck. And when I finally pulled myself together and pulled back I saw that she had a tear running right down her cheek and off her chin wow horses don't cry right <laughs> so so something I believe that a lot of people don't believe is that horses feel what we feel they have the emotional complexity to comprehend anything we have the emotional complexity to comprehend and I do believe that they have long and complicated um, understandings of things and how they happen. And we shouldn't underestimate them so much because <laughs> we miss out. I think I've read in a few different places, especially like scientific articles, that horses aren't capable of um, certain emotions, uh, which I don't agree with. Um, and I had a moment similar to yours where, well, when I had to put down my 39-year-old first pony um, last year, it was traumatic, obviously, for me. And um, for her, I call him the babysitter, who was a horse that looked after her for a, a number of years because she went blind, basically. Um, 
So I was bawling my eyes out with this horse and He's a very skeptical, um, naturally spooky horse that I've never really truly connected with. And in this moment where I was sitting there bawling my eyes out, I'm getting emotional right now, um, he just came up to me and put his forehead on my chest and it was literally like we were both grieving together. Oh, I'm getting teary now. Um, but I really do believe that horses can feel our emotions. And have you ever heard of Lockie from Emotional Horsemanship? No, but first I just want to say that really moved me as well. <laughs> and putting a horse putting their chest their head against your chest is massive because they're literally putting their head into your heart space. They're literally you, yeah. you know we have like this massive vibration around our heart and our head and it's a measurable Ooh. scientific field. <laughs> that horse is yeah. putting its head right into your heart space. That's so beautiful. Sorry, Lockie from you know, I was going to say it was a beautiful moment and ever since then I feel like him and I are connected on a different level just because we went through that together. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, Lockie, he has a page on Instagram called Emotional Horsemanship and he talks about the different emotions that horses feel. He's actually got a little online course in it. It's really interesting. So maybe something to check out and he's got a really nice approach of being with horses as well. I think you'd like him. Awesome. I'm sure I've come across this actually, but I haven't followed. So I'm following now. There you go. It's done. What is something that you once did with horses that you now no longer do? And, and why is that? Okay. First is my joke answer. My joke answer is that I used to lead my horse onto the trailer. Now I just go down to the field, open the gate and get out of the way while they load themselves. No, <laughs> no but seriously, my biggest, um, personal challenge is I'm a lot like Juno I'm quite short-tempered and impatient with people and I can be intolerant so my biggest challenge to myself is when I'm not doing a good job of being a horsewoman to just walk away just stop <laughs> so when I was younger I really believed that if I was trying to get a thing done, I had to get the thing done. Otherwise, the horse would learn it would not do the thing. Now I know that you can ride up to a jump. The horse can stop. You can walk away. And you can come back the next time and the horse will go straight over the jump. Whatever the challenge is, you can walk away from it and come back and try fresh. And there are very few horses that are like, aha, never have to do that again. Because they're constantly living in the present. And one of the um, things I really like about that horsemanship mentality that you'll hear it from Buck Brannaman, you'll hear it from Ken Drongul, you'll hear it from Ben at True West. Horses aren't living in the past, they're living in the moment. And whatever a horse's history may be, like, for example, Juno's history, which is a pretty big deal, it shouldn't influence the way I walk up to her in the paddock every day. It shouldn't influence my opinion of how she's going to act. So letting letting the past be, sure, it might inform you, but don't let it predispose you to a certain outcome. And just dealing with the horse you have on the day is really key. And And so my part of that is dealing with the human I have on the day. If the human's not functioning then it's not a good day to push it. You know, just find something to end on a good note and walk away. One of my really 
good friends is an amazing writer and she doesn't do dressage when she's got PMT because she knows it ain't going to go well. Mm. <laughs> and I think that's really wise. And, you know, just knowing our own limitations and that's, yeah, my biggest personal challenge when I'm frustrated, don't try and win the battle. Just look for a different way around, look for a different activity or just put put everything down and walk away. Yes, and I think none of us are immune to not getting frustrated, right? Like we all go in our training, get to those moments where we just want it to happen. We're just a bit rushed and a bit um, impulsive, I guess. And you're right. One of the best things you can do in those moments is just to stop, take a few deep breaths, come at it at a different angle or try again tomorrow the horse isn't going to think oh yes I won um which seems to be the mentality of a lot of people but um anyway and I love what you said about Juno being your uh or similar to you because I believe that horses can be our mirror they're always telling us how we need to be better better humans um but now I'd like to ask a bit of a controversial question well it's certainly controversial at the moment what are your thoughts on bits versus bitless I do think that you should use whatever the gentlest bit is that you can use on your horse. And I always get chills down my back when I see people asking for a stronger bit recommendation or, um, you know, talking about how you can stop a really tough horse with this bit. And, um, yeah, I think it's our responsibility to use them well if we're using them, right? And that applies to everything with horses, it's our responsibility to use any aids well. Yeah, and it's not necessarily about the tool as such, I mean, within reason, but it's the way you use it that makes all the difference for your horse. And speaking of different tools and horse-related equipment, um, can you tell us what horse-related purchase has most positively impacted your life in the last 12 months? Yes, I can. It's my jump saddle. <laughs> Tell us more. So I have a beautiful saddle. Like I said, I have a client balance saddle fitting. They are the best saddle fitters in New Zealand. They have the French, uh, they're the agents for Aeroplus Italian saddles, GFS British saddles, Albion British saddles, and Amerigo, which is Italian as well. Um, So I have this beautiful little jump saddle that, fits my horses really 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 well and it has lovely short bars so it doesn't pinch Juno's big strong shoulders and it sits so well because it's been packed perfectly for her and from my point of view I'm incredibly grateful for the position it gives my lower leg Um, I have this amazing jump coach and my last saddle she basically said to me just give up you can't do anything about your position. Just focus on the horse until you get your new saddle. <laughs> um, so this new saddle just means I'm so much safer. My horses are so much happier. And I'm really, really, really excited about how secure I feel. Um, and the other thing is I also bought an incredible Aeroplus dressage saddle, which is just like riding on a cloud. It's so deep to the horse's back. It's so just incredible I absolutely love it um and I think saddles yeah they're going to make a really 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 massive difference to my horse's lives they're really much happier with them um and Juno was quite expressive about the old jump saddle as you can imagine (laughs) yes it's surprising how much well not really surprising I guess but um 
I guess the uh, good saddle can make so much difference for both the rider and for the horse. So I think uh, a few people already have mentioned that their saddle has been the thing that has most positively impacted them. Um, I know that you've mentioned a few people who have inspired you so far, but I'd like to know from you if you could have dinner with any three horse people in the world, in the universe, dead or alive, who would it be and why? And what would you like to ask them? I would like to have dinner with Tom Dorrance, Tara from Unbridled Goddess, and Tommy Woodcock, who was Farlap's strapper, um, because I would love to hear Tom's wisdom from his own mouth. I think that he was an absolute legend, and I think that all his years spent out on the range with horses and cattle meant that he wasn't particularly great at explaining stuff to other humans. Um, and so I would have just loved to hear him tell stories, and I think I would have learned so much from him. Um, Tara is really inspirational. If you guys don't follow her on Instagram, she's Unbridled Goddess. She has the most inspiring uh, philosophy about horses and does such incredible training. And honestly, she's one of those people that I I read her stuff and sometimes I'm like, I just can't quite get there. Like I feel like she's just a little too bloody brilliant for me to quite get my head around it and I really love that idea that you know there's people that are that far ahead of you you can't quite get the full impact of what they're trying to explain to you <laughs> she's just on another level <laughs> um and Tommy Woodcock I mean come on far lap right um they seem had an amazing relationship and it was one of the great stories of all time and yeah I just love to hear stories from him about just daily life with a horse like that. Yes, that would be incredible. And um, I think I'm guessing that Tommy Woodcock isn't here anymore, um, but Unbridled Goddess is. So maybe I could get her on the podcast sometime. That would be an interesting chat. Um, I'd like to know from you, if you could turn back the clock and talk to yourself 10 years ago, what would you tell yourself and why? So after a very long and emotionally emotionally damaging relationship what i needed to hear 10 years ago was that i had deep anxiety because at the time i didn't really realize it um and that i needed to take proactive steps to address that i'd lived in a state of anxiety for so long that i was constantly in really deep anxiety about quite small things um, and because I'm a friendly and smiley person on the outside, I don't think anybody else realized either, um, like how bad a state I was in. Um, and if nothing was going wrong, I would literally have anxiety with the feeling that something must be going to be going wrong and maybe I just didn't know about it yet. So even when everything was really good, I was still having anxiety, um, it's a really vicious circle and it's been a long journey to emerge from that pattern um, because, you know, neural pathways and all of that, the more time you spend in the state, the more you spend time in that state. So that journey through, um, yeah, to being a lot less anxious and a lot calmer has been really, really great. And I wish that I had realised earlier on that I needed to hurry up and get that started <laughs> it wasn't okay to just stay like that 
No, you totally wouldn't guess now that you're an anxious person. Are you still anxious, would you say? And how did you overcome that? Or how are you dealing with that? Well, part of it has been through my wellbeing clients. I've learned about um, the parasympathetic state and fight and flight and rest and repair and all of those sorts of things and how being in a long prolonged state of stress can leave your body functioning subpar like on physical level as well as emotional and mental um patterns of thought um how you can recreate your patterns of thought um I actually really wanted to write a blog about anxiety last year when COVID came through and people were really shaken up um, and I never did it. Um, so I figured the time wasn't right. But one day I'd like to write a blog about anxiety and and share that on my website because I think um, it's so many people are anxious these days and so much of our life is um lived in kind of what i'd call a false state like we spend so much time thinking about what random strangers on the internet might think of us um and forgetting to reach out to our close friends but my journey um yeah a lot of mental sort of reprogramming um like i mentioned before waking up in the morning going i am grateful for um trying to be mindful about my physical state um just checking in with myself and I think that's really important before we ride before we approach our horses um Juno's really good at telling me when I messed up because if I walk towards her she puts her ears back and walks away (laughs) and if I'm happy and balanced and calm she whinnies and runs to me so I'm like oh yeah hi mirror Um, wow yeah um there's no hiding from juno she knows where you're at um yeah there's so much i want to share i've learned so much over the years um but basically what i want to say i guess is if you are anxious and you're living with anxiety and you feel your heart racing and you feel your blood pumping and you go round and round in patterns in your head when you're trying to sleep it's not normal it's okay to say to yourself look I need help I need to go and do something about this and reach out because it's not the way you should be living you shouldn't have to be there yeah that's super sound advice and I'm sure that you with your anxiety journey and learning to overcome that and um, manage that I guess has probably given you a greater understanding of the anxiety that horses might go through and perhaps some empathy around that and I'm sure there'd be so many people interested in your anxiety blog you should so do that because I feel like you're definitely not the only one, and especially horse people have a lot of tend to have a lot of anxiety even just around riding. So that would be something that I'm sure a lot of people would be interested in. Um, and uh, a little bit earlier, I'm backtracking now. You mentioned your show jumping coach, and um, I'd like to know how you're continuing to learn, like who coaches you, what you're studying, etc. Sure. So. Um... It's an old saying that a wise woman knows how little she knows. (laughs) And the more you learn, the less you know. So the girls have actually dictated what we've been training on for all of last year, really. We were doing jump lessons with Julia Ogilvie, who is almost my birthday twin. Um, We're both Geminis and our birthdays are the day before and after each other. And she's just a goddess, honestly. Um, she's trained like 
top level show jumpers for a really long time. But more than that, she's actually a really developed empath. And when you ride into the arena, she genuinely scans you. She scans your horse. She gets you to do one little simple jump a couple of times. And then she goes, right, this is what we're doing today. <laughs> because by then, she knows where you're at, where your horse is at, what your emotional needs are, where your head's at how you're going to be able to concentrate, how calm your horse is, and she sets up every lesson to build your horse's confidence. She's just so inspiring, honestly. Um, so she's taken me and Junu from galloping at a jump <laughs> to having technique. And you, uh, you, if you look through my Instagram account, you'll just see Juno's knees, Juno's knees, Juno's knees. She is so cute with how she jumps. She's just little ears forward, little knees tucked up, and she just has this beautiful technique now. And Trini just started jumping last year because she was only four, so we were just doing little jumps. And um, Julia's just started raising the jumps for us now that she's five. And this little girl, honestly, has absolutely no doubt in her mind what a jump is for and absolutely no doubt that she's going to fly over it and she has no hesitation based on height. I honestly think I could face her at 120 and she'd just go straight over it. So I think having a coach who's focused on your horse's confidence is really, 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 really a great thing. Um, and she's honest with me. She tells me when I'm doing a really bad job. <laughs> And she tells me when I'm doing a good job. So it's great. We've learned really fast from her. Um, and, yeah, um, Ben from True West Horsemanship, he's probably my go-to guy for horsemanship now. Um, he's based in the South Island. I'm in the North, but he does clinics and has online stuff and is really great at answering questions um, and super kind and patient and, and completely unflappable Um Trini tried to tr put him through his paces and he was completely unfazed by her being really, really cheeky early on. <laughs> yeah. And so do you uh, have a look at anything else online or is it mainly your um, coach in person and also True West that you follow or, or are there any other platforms or people that you that inspire you online? Honestly, my Instagram tribe inspires me constantly and often – um, that's where I'm getting a lot of ideas from is the girls that I see doing absolutely amazing stuff um, and encouraging each other. And I just think that's such an inspiring way to learn. Um, and I'm not doing any online courses. I'm interested in the idea, but I haven't made time in my life for that yet. And things, um, I feel like that's a, going to be my next step is to sort of reach into that space maybe with winter coming I will slow down and make some time for curling up with a with my phone and watching some stuff yes that's one of my favorite things to do especially when it's not good riding weather now I'd like to ask you this is one of my favorite questions that I like to ask guests on the podcast if your horses could talk with words because we know they can communicate with their body language what do you think they would say to you and what would you like to say to them so I would love to be able to say to Juno that she's safe forever and she can let her worries go. I'd love her to be able to express to me why, what her worries are and why and help her work through those. I think that's one of the biggest frustrations. Uh, often people say, 
when their horses are hurt and lame, you know, if only they could talk. Well, actually, Juno, the last three times she's been lame, has pointed to the place on her leg with her mouth and looked at me and gone, here, mum, over here. This is where I'm sore. Um, So we've got that covered. But (laughs) I'd really like to be able to have a conversation with her where she was able to let go her last fears. Honestly, Trini knows everything that's important already. (laughs) (laughs) And I both just say, hurry up and take us out now, every day now, please, because that's pretty much what they say to me every day. They, you know, run to the run to the fence and look at the float and they're like are we going are we going can we go can we play can we do something so yeah i think that's what they'd say take us out we'll go now eh? (laughs) nice problem to have (laughs) well that sort of brings us to the end of this interview but before we wrap up i'd like to know what is next for you where you see yourself in 10 years time and i know you already touched on kind of your ultimate goal with horses but can you elaborate on that I just feel so lucky because I've got these two amazing horses who absolutely thrill me with their braveness and their curiosity and their willingness and their beauty and their talent. I just want to keep learning with them and adding to our repertoire. And for me, part of that is being able to do more and more with less and less, um, which isn't like a complicated goal, but it's a huge goal. Um, I don't have any grand ambitions about winning Grand Prix or doing, you know, top level cross country. I have grand ambitions to be more connected to my horses so that more and more is possible. I want to be one of those cool 60 year old ladies one day out there jumping their horse or doing big trail rides because I see these older women and just think you're an absolute goddess. Like it's so inspiring. (laughs) Um, And I want to, still be doing that with my horses when I'm older and still be doing all the adventures and um, still be being brave. Um, So a big part of that is just staying physically well and healthy and yeah working on that connection beautiful that's beautiful and we're so lucky that our i guess the sport um unlike other sports uh, there's a time limit in terms of how long you can do that sport for but for us i think the queen's 93 or something and she still rides so it's great that we can follow <laughs> our whole lives now please tell us where can our guests find out more about you the easy ones definitely instagram nz mears um there's a link there to my youtube and my website and all that sort of stuff so yeah come and say hi it'd be lovely to meet you yes that would be great and i think everyone's going to jump over to your instagram and follow everyone that you're following as well because it sounds like it's such a positive community and thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast it was so lovely to hear about your journey with juno and trini and hearing your views on different topics And I'm sure that our listeners have enjoyed as well and they would be benefiting from hearing everything that you have to say today. So thank you so much again. And I'm really looking forward to connecting with you more in the future. Well, thank you so much for creating a place where people can share their ideas so much. It's absolutely lovely and really lovely to connect with you so well. Thanks for listening to the Horsemanship Breakthroughs podcast. 
Make sure you hit subscribe so you get notified every time a new episode is released. And if you've learned even just one small thing from today's show, I would really appreciate if you could leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. If you have any questions from today's show, suggestions for future episodes, or just want to reach out and say hi, I would love to connect with you on Instagram at Amalia underscore horses. Remember to also register for my free connection and communication mini course at AmaliaDempsey.com.